Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that is as funny as a barrel of monkeys, but that is it. He is the captain. Well, you're as funny as a turd sandwich. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Grapefruit Double IPA by the hardworking men and women over at Claremont Craft Ales. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. This is a double IPA, so plenty of hops in there and the grapefruit smooths it out quite a bit. Don't be scared of the grapefruit though, even if you're not a fan. This is a great beer. This is strong, but still quite refreshing. Perfect for the summertime. And this great Claremont Craft beer was brought to us by our good friends, First up, a big shout-out to Stan the Man. A big thank you to Stanley in Oakland. And a big shout-out to Annika in Sweden. Next up, we have Brooke in Vienna, Virginia. And a big shout-out to Tammy in Wichita, Kansas. Also, a cheers to Mary in Redondo Beach. Mary is a very big fan of the captain. And last mm. but not least, we have Kathy in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. All right. <laughs> All right. I got excited because of Ohio. Well, each week, thanks to all of you, we pull coldies from the fridge. So if you want to get involved and help us out with Garage Beers, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on the donate button. And while you're at the website, check out our store page and pick yourself up a very fancy smancy t-shirt to help support the garage. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Chino Hills, California, 1983. In the dark of night, evil lurks around a quiet house at the top of a hill. A sliding door was left unlocked and evil makes its way inside the home. A sleeping family are surprised and slaughtered. One victim survives and tells a story that doesn't fit the evidence found at the scene. A suspect is quickly identified, and the manhunt begins. Kevin Cooper is arrested, convicted, and sentenced to death for the murders. The evidence was overwhelming, 
But was it suspiciously overwhelming? Did the police plant evidence? Did they ignore evidence? For more than 30 years, Cooper has proclaimed his innocence from a cell on death row. Can we trust the scientific results that were produced? Can we ignore coincidence after coincidence after coincidence? We will continue to present the facts and you decide if you think this man is a murderer or a convenient suspect. But remember, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence, the third time is enemy action. Is Kevin Cooper the enemy and were his actions murder? Welcome back. We got a lot to get into. Yes, and we know that Kevin Cooper was arrested for the murders of the Ryan family and young Christopher Hughes. But the trial, Captain, would be moved south to San Diego because of, and this is as polite as I can put it, anger in the local community. Now, the trial began on October 23rd, 1984. During the course of this trial, and we won't go through everything regarding the trial because we have a lot of evidence that we want to get to later, but Cooper does decide to take the stand at his trial. And he does admit, this is where we know that he admits to being in the hideout house, just 126 yards from the crime scene. But he does deny having committed the murders. He admits that he escaped from prison. He admits that he eluded uh, law for law enforcement and he admits to being near the crime scene. He also admits to having some of his, what he referred to as quote, roll your own tobacco with him when he escaped. Now, when they found him, he was on this boat, allegedly trying to rape this girl. Does it, what does he claim on that front? Well, that he can just deny because he's not caught like red handed, let's say. So the way that the way that this goes down is this, according to the, to her, he rapes her at knife point on her boat. Mm-hmm. Later, she remember we said that they were already looking for Kevin Cooper. Later, she sees a wanted poster for Kevin Cooper, and she goes, "Holy crap, that's the guy that raped me!" So she calls and phones the authorities, letting them know, "Hey, Kevin Cooper is either in this area, or at least he was when he did this to me." So he's not caught necessarily red-handed for that. He can just deny that. Now, he's not going to be brought up on charges, on rape charges against this woman, because they're going to be seeking the death penalty in these murder charges and mm-hmm. attempted murder of this young boy. So while he is at trial, Cooper, he simply claims that he left the hideout house. He went back down, and these are his words, quote, I went back down the hill on foot at night in the same manner as when I walked up the hill to the hideout uh, following my escape from this prison. He states that along the way, he started stopping drivers, asking them either for directions to Mexico or for a ride to Mexico. Now, here's one thing that I was awfully curious about if the because I can only I can only report what was presented at trial I can't report 
without having speaking, having spoke to his defense attorney, I can't speak to their tactics or what they tried to present at trial. Only what was presented at trial. One thing I've often wondered about in this case is did the defense attorney at any point do a call to action by the public and say, Hey, did any, can anybody confirm this portion of Kevin Cooper's story? Were you a motorist that was driving that night and you were stopped or flagged down by this man who you saw on foot and he either asked you for directions or for a ride? Because in my opinion, if, if we could find some people to corroborate that portion of the story, that might lead you to believe that he is telling the truth. And yeah, that cause, he, yeah. Cause how did he get to Mexico? Right, right. So the prosecutor is going to claim that Kevin Cooper murdered the family, drove the vehicle to long beach, dumped it there. And that he hitchhiked to Mexico again, I don't see any, this is on the reverse side of this, on the opposite side of this, right? Where's the prosecutor presenting people that are willing to testify saying, Hey, I drove this guy to Mexico from long beach, or I picked them up in long beach. So the way that this goes down, captain is it's February 7th, 1985, that the jury begins deliberation. On February 19th, 1985, the jury convicts Kevin Cooper of murdering Christopher Hughes, Douglas and Peggy Ryan, and their daughter, Jessica, and also convicts him of attempted murder of Joshua Ryan. Yeah, and for this, he's going to be sentenced to death. Yes, so we go through that because what has gone on with this case since 1985 is we have Kevin Cooper, who is proclaiming his innocence of these murders, from his prison cell on death row. And actually he's almost been executed. There was one time, I think it was, was it 2004? Mm-hmm. He was hours away from his execution. They they were going to gas him within hours of, of when they receive a phone call stating, you know what? We need to take another look at this. We have some things that we need to look at. And that's what I want to do here. Captain is look through some more of this evidence that we didn't get to yesterday and take a good look at it and try to determine, does this point towards him being guilty? Do we have the right guy? Or has there been a murderer out there on the loose all these years, for 30 years? Let's just list some of the pieces of evidence that we went through yesterday. Well, the most damning piece of evidence is Cooper's own words. He admittedly is at the hideaway house within yards of the murder scene. Yeah. We also have the cigarette butts that were found in the stolen vehicle from the Ryan's house. Yeah, one being a regular cigarette butt, one being a rolled cigarette. We know that he rolls cigarettes. He claims that he had tobacco from the prison. We also have his footprint or a footprint at the scene of the murders, which kind of lines up with the, the shoes that they would give you in prison. We also have the potential murder weapon. You know, we said that a hatchet was found near the home as mm-hmm. if somebody driving the stolen vehicle had just tossed the has- hatchet out the window mm-hmm. and beer is <laughs> making you a little sloppy. And we, f- we know that this is likely the murder weapon because it has some of the victim's blood on it. Right. What it does not have is fingerprints from Kevin Cooper on it. Right. We have smudges on the hatchet, but no fingerprints. 
Now, the sheath to this hatchet is found in the hideout house, where he admits to have been staying. We also have people that occupied that residence at one time, stating the hatchet came from this home. We also have a missing, uh, we ha- have some missing knives that we didn't discuss yesterday. There's some missing knives, according to the owners of this hideout house, that were supposedly at the home sometime before Kevin Cooper occupied it for those couple days. And since the murders, they've not been able to find these knives. Again, he could have just tossed these out as well with the autopsy showing that the weapons used in these attacks would be a hatchet of some kind or an axe and then some kind of knife. So we have now missing knives. The other thing that we have, Captain, is we have the survivor, the lone survivor, the young boy stating that he saw three white men. He also said possibly Hispanic, but what's reported most often is that he saw three white men and you brought up that he said maybe four as well. Regardless, um, Kevin Cooper is a single individual, right? And he is not a white man. Uh, he is not Hispanic, nor would I believe him to be mistaken for either of those descriptions. He's an African American man. Mm -hmm. Um, later, the interesting thing here though, is later little Joshua's story changes a bit. Where we have him telling... <laughs> Changes a bit. Yeah, we have him saying that... A little bit more than a bit, my he, friend. Later, his story becomes that the person that committed this, all he could see, all Joshua could see, his limited memory of the crime, mm. was seeing a shadow figure, a dark shadow figure with possibly bushy hair. Now, I will say, Mr. Cooper certainly had bushy hair. Uh, and all those, you can see it in his arrest picture when, when they're walking him to the, uh, police car, he's got very bushy hair. Yeah. See, I wonder if he was just keeping this style cause it was just getting out of the seventies and maybe like he was really into disco possibly. <laughs> I think, uh, he was into whatever haircut he could get in the prison at the time. Mm-hmm. So here's the strange thing though. You have to wonder why does this boy's memory change? <laughs> okay well and, and no I, I, mean, I hate to laugh but the 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 thing to me is when you have you, you would think now now i'll go back and say this boy was hit on the head we know that mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. early questioning can we even believe any of that and if we're if we're to believe any of that can we believe any of the story changing so dramatically and i just think they almost cross each other out and you should just not view it as any evidence as at all. I think you're exactly right. And it, the reason why I liken this to, I've never been knocked out. I've never had my throat slit. I've never been attacked in the horrible, horrible manner that this Joshua boy was attacked in. I've never had to go through a tragedy or such a heinous crime as witnessing family members being killed. I could only, I can't, I can only imagine what that would do to someone, let alone a boy that young. Now, what I had to kind of think about is my own perspective, my own life experience. And, and I liken that to having a a big surgery. You know, I've had a couple surgeries in my lifetime and when you're coming out from the medication, Mm -hmm. there's the, there's these little pieces of memories that I have coming out from this medication. And they're, they're weird memories. They're memories of, you know, 
I saw doctor touching you. No, mm. I I saw a person or two in the room, but but then when I'm when I'm clear headed later, mm. I have a hard time even figuring out what time that would have been, what the person looked like, mm-hmm. how many people were in the room, things of that nature. And that's what I see kind of with his story as well. And I know people are sitting in their garage or their car right now making fun of me thinking of look, every week, my friend, nothing tragic, nothing crazy happened to me. I, I just trying to put it into some, get some kind of perspective from my end, why this kid's story could change. Let's touch up. Well, the other reason that his story could change is it doesn't fit the narrative of the police. So let's just play devil's advocate. And then they go, Hey, we have this guy. We think he's responsible. So now we need you to testify. Hey, you saw a single black man commit these crimes. And this is who you're going to point your finger towards. Or you don't even have to say you saw a single black man because that's not what he says. Mm -hmm. You can just say you didn't see three white guys commit this crime. Right. You know, and you could help a young boy along with changing that memory by going, look, you've son, you've been through a lot. You know, you were your your family's been wiped out. You were almost killed yourself. You were in so much pain. You were in and out of consciousness all night long. Mm -hmm. What we think has happened here is that the the people that you think were responsible, that you think were in the home at the time of the murders, were not people that you actually saw in the home at the time of the murders. These were rescuers. These were people coming to your aid later, at a mm-hmm. later time. And you were going in and out of consciousness during this time. That is where those memories were created. Let's talk about the sheath. Because that sheath was found in the hideout house. Now, there's been people that have said the police might have planted that sheath. Why? Because they searched the hideout house and did not find that sheath upon the first search. Right. It's kind of like the keys. Yeah. So the the problem I have with that, I think that's a leap by by people on the outside. I think that's, that's a, a leap. By people saying, look, they searched the house the first time. If it was there in plain sight, they would have found it. Well, I want to throw a couple things into the mix here. It was the home. The home was searched by deputies, first Mm -hmm. of all. Second of all, at the time that they searched the home, they may not know that this sheath that came from a hatchet, it's obviously from a hatchet, is of any importance at all. When you're doing this initial search by... Let's go ahead and assume un- inexperienced law enforcement agents, mm-hmm. deputies, low guys on the totem pole going into this house. They may not have a clear understanding of what took place at the murder scene. Right. They, may- they didn't see a bloody hatchet. So they said, well, this doesn't matter. You, you send out deputies to canvas the area and look for obvious signs of evidence. Right. That's not an obvious sign. I agree with you there. Yeah. They're, they're looking for a. A, a man covered in blood. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we didn't find that. We or didn't. We did not find him. So what happens is later you have the medical examiner that says that, look, a lot of these wounds were caused by either a hatchet or an ax. Well, now all of a sudden a hatchet sheath becomes something of importance. Two, you have a civilian who found the hatchet covered in dried blood mm-hmm. and had victim's hair on it. Yeah, we have fingerprints, but not prints, but smudges. Correct. But so the other thing, too, is wasn't there an eyewitness of a couple um, that was on that road or close to the road of the house and saw um, three white men driving a station wagon, the the car that was stolen? And this is big because this points to Kevin Cooper being innocent. 
because we have the Ryan's vehicle that was stolen. And yes, I know that I pointed out that he did have enough time to steal the the vehicle, go to Long Beach, Mm -hmm. make his way to Mexico and check into a hotel by four o'clock that afternoon. He had enough time to physically do that. The problem with that is we have eyewitnesses saying that there were white men inside that vehicle. We don't have any eyewitnesses saying I saw a single black man driving that vehicle. Let's talk about that car a little bit because that car is, like I said, something that is very, very tricky when you want to say that Kevin Cooper is guilty. Well, let's just, you know, to be clear, there was a husband and their wife. They're in the car. The husband believes he saw three individuals. The wife believes she saw four. Now, I believe the husband was driving, so I'd put a little more weight into what the wife saw because she wasn't driving. She didn't have to pay attention on that level. We also have a situation, Captain, where we have an eyewitness who states that they saw the station wagon the following day. So we know that the the vehicle was not found until about a week later. Right. So where, where was the other person that saw the vehicle? Okay. Well, l- let me kind of go through this thought first. Mm-hmm. The the thought being this, with with the vehicle not being found until a week later, we know where Kevin Cooper was during that time period. We know he was already in Mexico. Right. So if we assume that he killed these people, stole the vehicle, dumped it in Long Beach, he would have done that before going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. What we don't know is where that car was for the next few days. The problem being now that there's a witness stating that that car was being operated the day after Kevin Cooper says that he was already in Mexico. Right. So it doesn't necessarily matter where the vehicle is as long as it's not in Mexico. I don't know that this witness has um, stated who they thought was driving the vehicle at the time that they saw it. But again, regardless, it doesn't matter who was driving it because we know Kevin Cooper could not have been driving it. Okay. Also, further information, further eyewitnesses regarding this car. There's a witness who states, this is from a woman who states that she is scared of being identified as this witness, Mm -hmm. but is willing to testify under oath if necessary. She states that she saw three white people in the Ryan's car and they were driving pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. All right. They said that they almost crashed into her vehicle. Her grandmother was with her that day. She wrote down the license plate number of the vehicle that almost smashed into them. Hours later, Mm -hmm. this is after the murders were discovered, the authorities broadcasted a description of the missing car with its license plate. So the person, the person that's the woman and her grandmother, Mm -hmm. they see this broadcast. They go out to the car. They get the slip of paper from which they wrote down the license plate number, and they say it was exactly the same. Hmm. And why do you think this is important? Oh, well, this is really important because if we go back to the eyewitness, the sole survivor, Joshua, his early statements are, I saw three white men. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. 
it is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved 
and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Captain, cheers, cheers to you, Captain. Hey, there was a, it was a really great uh, off the record this week, so if you want to check that out, we did a kind of talked a little bit of uh, the update of Kanika Jenkins, so check that out on Stitcher Premium. That was a highly demanded update, mm-hmm. highly requested. So one piece of evidence, Captain, that we have not got to yet, which I originally thought this could hold the whole key because – I tell you, for the past week or so, looking at this case, I have been swayed every which way. I One minute, I think he's guilty. The next minute, he's innocent. Next minute, stuff was planted. Nope, he's guilty again. Yeah, and like you said, you sway every way. You go, oh, he's guilty. He's innocent. Maybe OJ did it. Maybe it was Casey Anthony. I'm not really for sure at this point. I'm very confused. The thing that we didn't get to, though, is a piece of evidence that I don't think could have been planted, and it is hair. There was hair that was found in the little girl's hand. She had was clutching some hair when her lifeless body was found. Now, I've heard and read this hair as being described as blonde or brown hair. Yeah. Remember I said yet earlier... That one thing I don't like about this case is people presenting this case often have an agenda. They often want to sway you in their direction. And one thing I've noticed is this hair being described as blonde. Well, guess what? If she ripped, if she ripped this hair in defense off of one of her attackers or the killer Mm -hmm. and it's blonde hair, Well, we know Kevin Cooper does not have blonde hair. And actually, he probably has the furthest thing from what would be described as blonde hair. So I wanted to know for certain what color was this actual hair? Because like I said, I think some people have an agenda and they describe things in certain ways to sway you to their side. This I found a picture of the hair. It's not blonde hair. I can tell there's no (laughs) way. Anyone ever should describe this hair as blonde hair. 
Now, what I will say is it appears to be brown hair to me and not a light brown, a, a, a pretty, as brown as brown can be. It's the most normal brown hair I've seen. Get down, Charlie Brown. What I can tell you, though, I do not need a microscope. I do not need a fancy degree or a laboratory to compare hairs plucked from Mr. Cooper's head to the hair that was found in this little girl's hands to tell you that they're not the same hair. I can, t- I can mm. from pictures of the hair found and from pictures of seeing him, Kevin Cooper, I can tell you that that hair does not match that person. You don't want to run this through like some computer program or possibly call up somebody, good friend, Fami Malik, and, and ask for a second opinion? I, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I'm right on this. It's not Kevin Cooper's hair. And I think we can get back to that in just a little bit because I do want to discuss this other guy. What? There's another guy? Yes. There's, an, there's another guy. Who is this guy? Well, some people that point to Kevin Cooper being innocent have also pointed to somebody else as a likely suspect. Okay. Okay, so this is what we know about this this person. This turd stain. On June 9th, a woman named Diana Roper calls the sheriff's department, okay? And she tells the sheriff's department that her boyfriend, Lee Faro, had come home in the early hours of that day, okay? Comes home basically in the middle of the night. Right. All right. He arrived at their home in an unfamiliar station wagon, a vehicle she identifies as a station wagon, and she doesn't know, she's never seen it before. Right. She also says that he is with some people who stayed in the car. She doesn't know who these people are, cannot identify them. She said that he came into the home, he changed out of his uh, overalls or bib overalls, whatever you want to call them. She said that he left these on the floor of their closet. Mm -hmm. He was not wearing a t-shirt when he had come home. He left the house. So he was wearing some overalls, you know, without a t-shirt. He's just peacocking all over the place. That's how he arrived at the home. Correct. Mm -hmm. She says that he left a short time later and did not return for a long time. Okay. Now, both this woman, Diana and her father both have concluded that the overalls were were covered in blood. Right. Two, so, two eyewitnesses. Yes. And so Diana turns, she turns in this evidence to the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. She gives it to a deputy and she says, hey, look, not only am I giving you what I believe to be blood-covered bib overalls, but I'm telling you, I think that my uh, boyfriend... Lee Faro, I think that he was involved in those murders. She also stated that a bloody hatchet found beside the road, the hatchet that we've discussed, matched a hatchet that was now missing from her garage. Mm -hmm. Like I said, a hatchet could be found in almost any home. So the police department, the sheriff's department, they never tested the overalls for blood that Mm. were turned into them. Good job. Well, I don't know that all of them are to blame because what we have here, these items were, this item was thrown away in a dumpster. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was not tested, nor was it given to Cooper's defense. So phone logs would later back up a sergeant's story that he had retrieved them and made multiple attempts to turn them over to uh, the lead investigators. Right. And why wouldn't they take them? 
I I cannot answer for them. Well, it's probably because they have a suspect that's black. So he's been he's been you know this problem's been brought to this person who collected this this item, right. and he's saying, "Look, all I can do is attempt to turn it over to investigators. If they don't want to do anything with it, I can't make them." Now about this furrow guy, Lee Furrow. He has a bit of a background. He had actually been released from a state prison earlier that year. He had been part of what <laughs> what has been dubbed, and I sh- shouldn't have laughed, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm making, you yeah, know. Insensitive prick. He has been, he was a part of a murderous gang. Okay, that's what it's referred to in the newspaper. Mm. But he was given a short sentence in return for turning state's evidence against the leader of this gang who was, I guess, sentenced to death for this, this murder that they were convicted of. So furrow told friends that while he was a part of this gang, he had killed a girl, cut up her body and thrown her body parts into the Kern river. Now this, here's another bit of thing about this Lee guy, right? The station Uh wagon that didn't turn up until about a week after the killings. Right. This is near the home of Lee's stepmother who lived in Long Beach. Right. So, okay, back to these gang murder. It's just one, right? From my understanding, it's the murder of one person, yes. The murder of one person, but how many people were involved in the murder of this one person? Um, that is not clear. But it's more than two? I well, mean, it would at least be Lee and this guy named Clarence Ray Allen. Okay, so... Okay, so at least two. Yes. I, the only reason why I bring this up is because we have... It's one thing to have criminal uh, a criminal past, right? Because we know that Kevin Cooper does. He broke into cars. He broke into other things. And but now we have a past of somebody that committed a murder, or with, was at least involved in a murder, right? With a group of people. Yes, and I'm assuming that it's more than just him and Clarence Ray Allen because it's referred to as a murderous gang, meaning right. a group of people that have committed at least one murder. Right. Now, the the information that I have, and this is a very squishy, unconfirmed, speculative information. Squishy. Okay, so this information is that the gang leader was Clarence Ray Allen, and he had raised the same kind of horses, the same kind of Arabian horses as the Ryans. Now, remember, they were not only raising horses, but they were training them and showing them as well. Mm -hmm. So there's, like I said, squishy, unconfirmed evidence that Alan may have had previously threatened to kill Peggy Ryan. Why? That that they had some kind of fight over a horse sale that had gone wrong. Squishy. That that he he felt that he was cheated mm -hmm. um, and that she was... uh, you know, threatened, threatened her life. Okay. Let me try to unpack this a little bit. So we have eyewitness that claims that he was possibly in their vehicle. The night of the murders came home roughly a little bit after the night at the time of the murders came home to change was in overalls was covered in blood. These were never tested. We also have the person that he lived with the girlfriend saying, Hey, and also, the hatchet that is the murder weapon, quote unquote, looks kind of like the hatchet that's missing from our house. Uh, also, by the way, we're into horses. He also possibly sold. Well, the gang leader, the gang leader that he was supposedly a member of 
might have been into these horses. Right. And this gang that he was involved in uh, also murdered somebody as a gang. So, I mean, it's just how many more things do you need to tie to this guy? Well, there, I mean, there are, there are actually a few more things. So oh. there, there is at least one eyewitness, if not two or three eyewitnesses that claim to have seen three white men at a bar at some point after the murders. And they believed that at least one of them was covered in what appeared to be blood, like mm-hmm. had blood on their clothing. But people, you know, you would just assume if you're out in public and you see somebody like that, that it's, you're not seeing blood, it's paint or it's, right. uh, you know, maybe they were hunters mm-hmm. and had, it was animal blood. So we have that statement. We, what we don't have from those eyewitnesses is them saying one of those men was Lee Furrow. We don't have that. We just have three unidentified Caucasian males at a bar, one of them being covered in what was thought to be blood. Well, we also have his girlfriend saying he came back with this station wagon with other people in it. And we also have the couple that says, hey, we saw a station wagon with at least three white males in it. Well, and another thing against Lee Furrow is this. Remember the vehicle that was being driven by the woman and her grandmother was in the car as well. And they said they almost got into an accident because the station wagon was driving so wildly. Well, she was later shown a photograph of Lee Furrow to which she would say, I believe that guy matches the description of the guy I saw driving the vehicle at the time. So now we need to talk about the shirt though. Remember we mentioned he came home, Lee Furrow, according to his girlfriend, Diana, comes home in the middle of the night. He's not wearing a shirt and he's got these overalls on that are covered in blood. He mm-hmm. leaves those at the house, changes his clothes. And if we think that these three men are the same as the three men later spotted at the bar, he's getting cleaned up to go out for a celebratory drink right. after having killed these people. Yeah. So we showed them a lesson after they screwed us on horses. Well, one big, big piece of evidence against Kevin Cooper would be a T-shirt that was found. Okay. So the problem with this T-shirt, though, is we have Diana Roper, who is the girlfriend of Lee Furrow, stating he comes home without a T-shirt. And oh, yeah, by the way, the bloody T-shirt that was found beside the road leading from the murder house. Mm-hmm. That was his shirt. It matches a shirt that I had purchased for him at one time. She states that it's a fruit of the loom shirt uh, with one of those, you know, it's a T-shirt with a breast pocket. Right. And she stated that she knew this to be his shirt because she purchased it for him. Right. So how's this against the big problem with this shirt, though, is it has blood evidence on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the problem with this evidence is on the shirt, mm-hmm. it points toward Kevin Cooper, his blood being on that shirt. Well, smack my ass and call me Susan. So this is difficult because it's like you were, like you said before, you said earlier, um, you know, after so many times, it can't be a coincidence anymore. Mm-hmm. But there, it seems like there's as many coincidences pointing towards Kevin as there are pointing to somebody else. I agree with you. But the, but the, the thing that Cooper's not going to be able to shake is this T-shirt. And I say that because the problem with this T-shirt, and I, I think I called it yellow, but it's I, 
I see a picture of it and I think of it as yellow. It's often described as a tan t-shirt. So if anybody out there knows about this case and I'm talking about the one in the same, okay, they're the same shirt. Okay. Well, now I don't trust you with that hair sample. Well, (laughs) if I showed you this picture, you would say that this shirt could be yellow. Anyway, regardless of what (laughs) color this shirt is, the problem for Kevin Cooper is this shirt contains his blood, and it also contains the blood of Doug Ryan, of the father. Right. So if this shirt was discarded near the crime scene and it has the suspect's blood, Kevin Cooper, and the victim's blood on it, he's looking pretty damn guilty at this point. Right. This shirt is a big piece of contention for both the defense and the prosecution and not so much at his trial at Kevin Cooper's trial, but later at his appeals. Why? Because they tested. Here's what Kevin Cooper states. He states, look, they took my blood and at some point they put it on this t-shirt. Okay. They put my blood on this t-shirt. It's it didn't, possible. It didn't come from my veins. It didn't come from an artery. It didn't come out of my body and go onto that shirt. It went into a tube somewhere, and then from the tube, it went onto the t-shirt. Right. And therefore, it was planted by law enforcement or somebody, and that's how they've put me behind bars, and that's how they're going to kill me. The evidence to suggest that he might be right is this, that later they test this blood. And there's this, okay, so they find EDTA right, right. in this sample. Okay, what is this? This is, this is a preservative that is used to preserve blood samples, such as the one that was taken from Kevin Cooper years ago. Right, I think they found this in a couple of the samples with OJ as well. Well, Cooper states that the EDTA that's found in the blood on the, on the shirt in that sample is proof that they took it from the tube, that they tried to preserve my blood, preserve the sample, right. and then they dumped it onto this shirt. The problem with that is EDTA is a common compound found in hand creams, laundry detergent, and other everyday products. So that being said, if this shirt had ever encountered any of these products, like laundry right. detergent, there would be some presence of EDTA found possibly in that sample. And has the defense ever tested this shirt to see if there's any other blood? You know, because they can say we have two blood samples here, but maybe there's a third. From my understanding and from looking at the shirt and from evidence produced from the shirt, I believe they've only found two kinds of blood on the shirt, one coming from Kevin Cooper and one coming from Doug Ryan. So where do we go from here? Well, that's the problem because you're the problem. The shirt, when first presented with this evidence of the shirt, Mm -hmm. you go, okay, this makes him guilty. His blood was found on the shirt. Then years later you go, wait, they found EDTA in this sample. Right. Well, then it's planted. So he's innocent. If it was planted, he has to be innocent. Or is there somehow that this guy killed these people and the police just thought they were doing the right thing by making a case against him. So well, the EDTA, in my opinion, actually doesn't clear anything up because uh, as much as it points toward it being planted, it also points toward it. Well, it could just be happenstance that it's there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I really want to know when Joshua started changing his story. Because I think there's something there. You know, if you, if you come out of this traumatic situation and you say, hey, I think it was at least three individuals, regardless of color, that once you start changing the story to, well, I think it was, you know, one person and it was a black man or a man of color. So I think once you figure out where that story starts changing, because there's, again, there's so many, for all the pieces of evidence pointing towards somebody, there's pointing towards somebody else as well. Well, I here's one thing that I don't like about this case. It's the racism factor. Okay, I think that I think race and racism gets brought up in this case a lot because we have this individual that might be wrongly convicted and he happens to be African American. Right. And what I here's the problem with that. The problem is that all this does is murky the waters. All it does is confuse things and cloud things. In my opinion, I don't think that the police went out and sought a black man for this crime. I think if they had any prejudice about them, it was against Kevin Cooper, not against an African-American man. Right. And what I mean by that is they can prove that he was near the crime scene roughly about the time the crime went down. Very near. Yes. And so therefore I think that if there was any prejudice, it was against Kevin Cooper, not against an African-American man, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I think when people bring up racism, and bring up this kind of thing. It only clouds. It doesn't help anybody solve this any faster because the problem is we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. This guy will be likely will be executed at some point. We stated that in the early two thousands, he was hours away from being executed. And if you allow something like racism to get involved in this, push that aside, please push this aside because I think some of the evidence might be able to point you to what actually happened here? Now we should we should mention too. Well, I think what you're trying to say is that they get a couple pieces of evidence, right? And it's going against Kevin Cooper. Does not matter what color his skin is. It's just the fact that we have this heinous murder. We're trying to pin it on somebody, right? And they got cloudy and in, in that vision, and it had nothing really to do these heinous murders. That you look if. I believe if Kevin Cooper was a a white man, this still would have happened the same way it happened. Oh, I agree. I think that if police thought that I were in that hideout house at that time, Mm -hmm. that they would say, you know what? This is our guy. But right. But the difference here is they wouldn't have to have the key eyewitness change their stories so dramatically. Now, did we mention that he has appealed this time and time again? Yeah. And we, well, I think we have, and I think we've also mentioned that he, has claimed his innocence throughout. Correct. Now, one part of the appeals process, remember we talked about that hair that was found in little Jessica's hand. Yeah. Okay. That hair was part of his appeals because they wanted to test that hair to prove that it didn't come from Kevin Cooper and it didn't come from Kevin Cooper. We know that to be the truth, right? Here's the problem with this though. The hair did not come from the killer. The hair belonged to victims. It was victims hair that was in Jessica's hand. So this kind of backfired on his appeals because 
it, it didn't point to the killer at all. It didn't help find out who the killer was. We already know who the victims were. Well, in this case, it's so difficult because we could have done four parts on just speculation and debating that, and that's not really what we're trying. We're trying to get a little bit closer to the truth, and I think, um, you know, anybody that has opinions on this case, please go to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and check out the blog on this case. Well, the thing, the problem with this case is this, Captain. We could have discussed it four or five hours. But we it, have already. It would have just, been. We only recorded two hours of it. It the the problem is each little point of evidence is a discussion topic. It's something that you could argue for or against the guilt of Kevin Cooper. And when you start pouring through these item by item by item, it gets awfully lengthy. We didn't want anybody to have to sit and listen to us pour through each and every single item. The reason being is that. In my opinion, let's throw this. I want to take the shirt, the the shirt with the blood evidence found on it. Right. right? Let's put that in its own little compartment. As planted evidence. Well, no, let's put that in its own little compartment Uh for now. All the other evidence, and there's lots of it, none of it specifically names Kevin Cooper as having killed these people. Mm -hmm. However, by the same token... None of it exonerates him. Mm-hmm. None of it excludes him. So there, it, there is the big issue. There's the big problem right there. Now, let's go back to the shirt. Was Kevin Cooper's blood on the shirt? Yes. 100% yes. How did it get there? What Did it come from a tube? We don't know. Did it come from his body? We don't know. Well, whoever put it on that shirt, if it was planted, I hope that they come forward one day and say, hey, I did this and I was wrong. It probably won't, but they should. Well, there's an individual. Uh, his last name is, um, I can't think of it right at this moment, um, but we, we know who it was. There was, a, there was a man that worked on this case uh, that worked on some of the blood evidence, and I will say this. There seems to be some shaky things going on regarding that operation whether this could have been tampered with, with it, whether it was planted. Right. There's some shaky business going on there. And that makes me not trust this shirt so much. It makes me have a hard time trusting this shirt. And the best opinion I can give on this case. And as far as the guilt of Kevin Cooper, I'm not going to lie to you. I think there's overwhelming evidence to suggest that he might be guilty, but I don't have anything to pinpoint him 100% other than that t-shirt. And I don't trust, I don't know that I trust that evidence. Right. So I don't trust a lot of the evidence. I'm just going to break my part down real quick. The way I view it is you don't kill a whole family to steal a car. We have other people that are tied to the, to the family have other possible motives. And as much speculation as there is out there, Again, you don't kill a whole family to steal a car. You possibly kill a whole family and steal their car because they did your gang wrong. And and in the autopsy, when they when the coroner comes out and says that they think that all these attacks were done within a minute or so, mm-hmm. that that points to me as evidence that this wasn't done by one person or couldn't have been done with by by one person. It would be, if that medical examiner is right, 
it would be very, very difficult, in my opinion, for one person to have committed all of these murders in such a short amount of time as has been suggested by the medical examiner. The other thing that I take issue with is that the medical examiner also suggests the autopsies suggest the use of multiple weapons, the use of multiple weapons. And not that, not to say that one person couldn't have entered the home brandishing multiple weapons. However, I just find it unlikely. I think multiple weapons to me points more likely to multiple assailants. Before we leave captain, I want to wrap up with some words from the lone survivor from Joshua Ryan and his thoughts on this case. He states, I wish I could remember. I don't know if they think I have the answers or that it's in my head. It won't come back to me. Josh says he doesn't remember seeing Kevin Cooper that night, only a shadow. And he also says, quote, I want to know if he really did it. I couldn't live with myself knowing that there could have been a chance that he didn't do it. That's not right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Till next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.